Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Aloha. <laughs> oh, we are filming from Hawaii. Yay. What if we were? We wish we, we were. Wish we were. Hi, I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Glad that you are here, listening, watching, whatever you are doing right now. Um, we're about to get into some really, I feel like the Doctrine and Covenants goes like this. Kind of slow, and then all of a sudden it just like, like it picks up and just like, <laughs> starts going like crazy you know that for all those first sections are kind of like almost like the stone starting to roll or whatever and now it feels like it picks up momentum and it is momentum just, yeah that's a really good just, word and it just is and is it's just going, gonna keep going, going yeah. because you guys i think we have as many field trips from now until december as we did the whole beginning of the year there's so many good things coming yeah and it's nuts that it just really seems like it almost seems like Joseph gets a lot busier and or something or because, well, it's because like, remember when there were six people in the church? Oh, yeah. Well, then he is getting a lot busier. <laughs> the church is in two totally like, different places. I mean, it really is. And the whole world wants to be at war against them. Yeah. And where we were last time and with each other, they really start oh, I thought you met you each and other. Me. I'm like, yeah, no, we're, we've we're been fine. We're fine. Um, Remember last time we were just, what was happening is the saints in Kirtland were just barely figuring out what was happening in Missouri. That it started with the destruction of the printing press and a promise to leave. And then it turned into like a dumpster fire and they were Mm -hmm. leaving in the middle of the night, like crossing the river and escaping. And there was all of that going on. And um, in the middle of all of that, uh, the Lord gives this parable in the section we were in last time, 101, which uh, which we want to start with because it sort of is the first time that this idea that they're going to execute in 102 through 105, this idea of Zion's camp, some of you may know what that is already, but it's like the very first mention or thought of, huh, are, are we supposed to go do something about this? Um, But it begins with this parable, which is... um, And this is fun. This is my favorite way to read a parable. We've talked about this before, but you're going to want to go get a piece of paper and you're going to want to get crayons or pen or something, especially if you're doing this with your kids, to be able to let them draw out who's in the parable and what's happening. And sometimes it's fun to go little piece by piece. Lots of times when I'm teaching in seminary, what I'll do is have them fold the paper like eight times and then open it up and we just kind of do like a one of those cartoon series. Is that yeah, what yeah. they are? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where you just go through and you're like, and then what happened? And then what happened? So as David's or, reading this, yes. I just thought I might want to like set it up with blocks or something and then act it out as it happens. Okay. You know, or you can do that if that you want That could be to. really cool. Army guys. Yeah. 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 You need trees. Get Mario and Luigi in there. Like there's <laughs> like whatever you can find in your... Blocks. <laughs> All those a hedge. You're going to need to gather stuff. Marshmallows would work really good. You're just going to want to gather stuff because there's something about visualizing a parable that all of a sudden makes it come to life. And it doesn't matter how old your kids are. 
like your teenage kids or your young single adults or even like for me, sometimes if I'm like, let me just draw this out because then I can see what's happening. Or I love the idea of like actually just setting out the whole thing. So we're going to go back because we love what we learn from this that's going to take us forward into 102 through 105. Okay, so... You be the storyteller. Okay, instead of just telling them directly what he wants them to do, he says this in verse 43. This is 101.43. And now I will show unto you a parable that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. <laughs> and, like, and we do have to say this before. Keep that thought. You want to just visualize what they think the redemption of Zion is going to look like as you're reading through this parable. If you were them and you were like, okay, he's trying to tell us what to do, what would your reaction have been coming out of it? Well, because Joseph's questions, he had two, you remember, and we talked about this last time. Um, why did this happen, number one? And number two, how are we going to fix it? So why did this happen? We got in that beginning of that section. He's like, well, there was jarrings and contentions and there was problem with Missouri and problem within, right? So now it seems like now this is the answer to the second question that he had, which is how, what are we supposed mm -hmm. to do about it, right? Okay, once upon a time, <laughs> there was a certain nobleman who had this spot of land and it was very choice. And he said to his servants, go into my vineyard to that very choice piece of land that I have and I want you to plant 12 olive trees because we all like olives and set watchmen around them. I'd really like putting olives on my fingers. That's what I thought when I read that part. Because I was like, we all like olives. I was like, why? And I was like, oh, duh. Because you like to put... So you could eat olives while you're studying the Bible. Yeah. Remember 12 olive trees, though. Let's just say this for just a second because I, I really did stop and think about the olives on my fingers. But I was like, why do you pick olive trees? And you have to remember that olives were used for light, for healing, for, um, for food, for just all, everything that you would need in your life. So interesting that those kind of trees. Okay, back to the story. And I want you to set watchmen round about it. And I want you to build the tower so that you can look over the land about. And I want you to be a watchman on the tower so that my olive trees won't be broken down when the enemies come to spoil my land. So the servants of the noblemen went and did as their Lord commanded them. And they planted the olive trees and they built a hedge round about it. And they set watchmen and they started to build the tower. And while they were yet laying the foundation thereof, and I just laid a foundation in my heffy trip that <laughs> I went so on. Hard. And it really, it's so hard. It's so I can so understand why they're about to do what they're about we to do. We once laid a foundation and then had someone come up and check it and found out it was wrong and had to start over and relay the whole foundation again. Because the foundation is important. You are allowed to cuss in situations like no, that. No, we don't swear. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> and while they were yet laying the foundation thereof, they began to say among themselves, what need did my Lord even have of this tower anyways? And they consulted for a long time with each other. And they said among themselves, no, but for real, what need of my Lord of this tower, seeing this is a time of peace? I don't even know why he thinks we need it. Shouldn't this money be given to the exchangers instead? For there's no need of these things right now. And while they were at variance one with another, discussing it and disagreeing on different levels. They became very slothful and they didn't listen to the commandments of their Lord. And the enemy did come by night and he broke down the hedge and the servants of the nobleman woke up and they were so scared and they ran and the enemy destroyed all their work that they'd done and they broke down all the olive trees. Now the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard called upon his servants and he said, why, why, what is the cause of this great evil? Should you not have done what I commanded you to do? And after you planted the vineyard and built the hedge round about it, you were supposed to set watchmen on the walls and build the tower also. 
but instead you fell asleep and the enemy came upon you. And behold, the watchman upon the tower would have seen the enemy while he was yet far off. That's why I told you to do it. And then you could have made ready and kept the enemy from breaking down the hedge and you could have saved my vineyard from the hands of the destroyers. And the Lord of the vineyard just said to one of his servants, go, gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house, my warriors, my young men, and they that are of middle age and also, also among my servants who are the strength of my house, except for the people I want to just stay here and go straightway into the land of my vineyard and redeem my vineyard for it is mine. I bought it with my money. Therefore, go straightway into the land, break down the walls of my enemies, throw down their tower, and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. And the servant said, when will these things, when will these things be? Like, when are we going to repossess the land, right? And he said to his servant, when I will. So go straightway and do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And this shall be my seal and my blessing upon you a faithful and wise steward in the midst of mine house, a ruler in my kingdom. So after many days, all those things were fulfilled. And again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you the wisdom in me concerning all the churches inasmuch as they're willing to be guided in a right and proper way. So that was the parable. Question, what are we supposed to do about that land of Zion? Answer this parable. And hold on, something is on there, but I think it's okay. It's still recording, but there was just a guy. <laughs> okay, just fixing it, everybody. Okay, so the interesting thing is they hear that parable, and if you acted it out, there are probably a lot of knocking down and a gathering together of armies and everything. And initially, uh, the response to that was, okay, I guess we need to go gather an army together, and we need to go into that land, and we need to knock down their hedges, and we need to knock down their walls, and we need to redeem this land, right? Take it back. By yeah. force. And it's so interesting because that is what they're actually going to do. But there's a couple things in there that we just want you to hold on to. We'll come back to them, but we just want you to hold on to them. Because probably the most important question of that entire parable is going to be found in verse seven, 47. Um, this, is, this is our favorite part yeah. of the whole parable. Yeah. It's this one question that they ask. What need hath my Lord of this tower? In the end, that's going to become the most important lesson, one of them, in this parable. And it's so interesting that that one question causes so much contention, right? They want to rationalize. They want to say, this would actually be better. We should be using the money for this, or it would be better if he did this. Instead, this is the way we want him to do it. And there's so much variance and there's so much contention and they get so caught up in all of the discussions that they become slothful and, and they, they stop protecting anywhere because they become so focused on conversations that will end up destroying the kingdom, will end up destroying everything. And it's interesting in the parable, they build everything else that the Lord commands them to build and probably because they can see a really good reason for it. Okay, make sure you plant 12 olive trees. And they're like, oh yeah, duh, because that's what you use vineyards for. Right? Why would we have one in the first place? Make sure you build up a hedge around them so like the weeds and the animals, whatever, don't get in. So they're seeing all of the need for all of this. But then they start doing the work for the foundation and they're like, holy crud, this is hard. Yeah, and it feels so big. Yeah, and so now it's like, okay, let's just think about this for a second. Do we really have to do this part? Because like, why do you even need to have a tower in the first place? 
right? Like yeah. It's and and what is the tower? And we're not going to answer that for you yet, but we do want oh, you I to be thinking. Oh, I almost did. So I'm so glad you said that. What is the tower and why does the Lord have need of it? So what do they do? They immediately are like, I think we should gather an army, right? I think that's what we should do. And it's so interesting. Just for a second, before we dive into Zion's camp, we're going to go to 103. Um, The common theme in 103 is redemption. You're just going to see that coming again and again. And And if you don't have your notebook, it's verses 1 and verses 13 and verses 15 and verses 18. And it's interesting because the one in 15 says the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. And I just want you to think about that for a minute because we've actually watched this happen once before with a group of people who were waiting for the kingdom to be redeemed. And it was when Jesus came, right? And they were looking for that redeemer. And in their mind, they had an expectation of what redemption would look like. And similar promises from Old Testament scripture, right? It will come by power, power. right? Yeah. So the- and then interestingly, most of the people missed it because it didn't come on a white horse with swords and and this huge battle, it came on a cross, right? That was the redemption that came by power for the saints living in New Testament times. And that's going to be an important lesson for us because I think a lot of times we we read or we hear or we think, oh, this is what this means. And the Lord may have an expectation that will go missed if we get caught up in the conversations and the contention and all the other things going on because it's the spirit that whispered to those few disciples who were there, this is the Christ, right? And they came to know what happened on the cross and they came to understand what redemption would look like for them. But it was just a few who were chosen who got to experience the redemption that came by power in that moment and and knew. They were like, oh, this is it. And their expectation became his expectation. And then that redemption was, was real for them and for all of us since who have come to believe. Yeah, and and I think they also came to realize, wait, there is a fight to be fought, and um, but it's a different kind of one than they initially expected. Like the words came, like this is a cause worth fighting for, right? David's yes. cause, right? And they were like, oh, it must be army. It must be by force. It must be like this. And it was just like, oh, they they had to learn, no, you will fight this battle, but it will not be fought in the way that you thought you were going to be fighting it. And I love just that idea of, you know, the cross and it's like, it will be fought with love. Mm. It'll be fought with sacrifice. It will be fought by laying down your own life. And it will be his battle, right? It's his battle in behalf of all of us. And you love that, that that redemption brought saving, right? That is what that redemption brought. And we're going to kind of watch the same thing happen here because they are going to dive in to, they're going to hear that watchmen on the tower, and they are going to dive into this battle, this white horse, swords blazing battle. And that's what their expectation is. And it's interesting because that's not necessarily what the realization is going to be at the end. And it's so interesting to watch it come full circle. So this section 103 with these verses right here in the middle under that section that says Zion's camp is sort of the instruction for gathering together 
of these group of people, like who you're going to gather um, and what they're going to do and what's going to qualify them for this. So this list is, um, is, is actually really cool. So like we're going to go through the list of kind of what he says with some of these words that you saw up, up here. Um, and as you think about the counsel he's giving, it's so fun to watch how they respond and, and in their mind what they think is happening. And you're going to want to make this list as we go because the list is going to come in super handy in a minute. So it's going to start in verse 20. And he tells them, I send you, mine angels shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time, you shall possess the goodly land. So that's the first thing you want to remember. Oh, you forgot to write the well, second one. Well, this is a mystery. In yeah. time. The second one. And I also think it's like really cool that in that verse 20, where he says, it's going to happen in time, but my presence is going to be there. And my angels are going to be a part of this also. I think that is. Yeah. So awesome. Really and cool. important to remember. You're going right. to want to hold on to that. Um, in verse 22, he says, gather the strength of mine house, my young men and the middle-aged. Gather yourselves together to the land of Zion and um, that I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. So there's this thought of this young man and the middle-aged that are going to gather together to this land that is meant to be consecrated. And you love that strength of my house. You want to remember that. There's going to be something about the strength of his house that's going to become important in this part and, of the journey. And the land was purchased by consecrated funds and that they will go by consecrating their time and efforts and energy and everything. So there's like consecration is a, is a central part of this journey and battle. 27, <laughs> I feel like we you just do it? did a breathe in jinx. <laughs> 27, he talks about, let no man be afraid to lay down his life for my sake, for whoever lays down his life will find it again. And that leads to um, 28, where he talks about, if you're not willing to lay down my life, your life for my sake, then you're not my disciple. So we're starting to see it's going to happen in time. It's going to require the strength of my house to be consecrated. It's going to require sacrifice um, and laying down your life, right? Which I love the thought of that, just laying down maybe what you had in mind for what he had in mind. And that's how we become a disciple is going through that process. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that he puts almost that qualification on sacrifice. He's like, I want you to sacrifice even to the laying down of your life. Yeah. If, you know, if need be. Yeah. And I, one of the people that goes on Zion's camp, by the way, is Wilford Woodruff. And somebody asked him afterwards, you know, or was it as he was preparing, he was like, do you think this is worth going for? You guys don't have that very big a group and stuff like that. And he just said, if a bullet goes into my heart, the second I step over the Missouri line, if I knew that, I would still go, hmm. you know, and just like that. Passion. Yeah, that passion that yeah. he has. Um, verse 30, um, he says, I, I want you to, Parley P. Pratt and Lyman White, to go and go to all the different places and see if you can, they're kind of going to go on a recruiting mission and gather up 10s or 20s or 50s or, or 100s until you've had enough number um, for the strength of my house. And so for that, verse 30, we have the idea of gather. We want you to go out and we want you to bring people um, to be a part of this redemption cause. Um, um, in 35, I love when it talks about, make sure you take Joseph Smith Jr. with you and he will preside in the midst of my people and organize my kingdom upon the consecrated land and establish the children of Zion. And there's going to be laws and commandments which will be given unto you. And so you realize that part of this is going to be 
a prophet that will preside in the midst of this consecrated people and that it will be a people who will listen to law and commandment from Joseph Smith, which is interesting because this is a time when not everybody is listening to the laws and commandments that are coming from a prophet. And then if they do, all victory and glory will be brought to pass unto you through your diligence, faithfulness, and prayers of faith. So they Which decide, is such good life advice. Yeah, they decide they're going to follow all of this, right? In time, consecration, they're going to gather the strength of my house. Um, they're going to be willing to lay down their life and become disciples. They're going to gather. They're going to take Joseph. There's going to be diligence, faithfulness, and prayer. And that is how the victory will come. And so they really do start gathering yeah, and all they, these people together. And in this section, it says the Lord's like, I would really like 500 people to go. But if you can't get 500 people, try and get 300 people. But if you can't get 300 people, get at least 100 people. And don't go if you can't get at least 100 people. But my preference is that you mm -hmm. take 500 people with you. Unfortunately, 500 people weren't willing to go. And the total number of people that they get it's are... 205 men, 10 women, and 7 children. Are we going to tell that, that yeah, story just, right now? Right when you said okay. that, I thought, so are we going to tell that story? One of the seven children was George Q. Cannon. Yeah, and we did the math because I'm so good at math beforehand. <laughs> and he was um, seven years old when he went. So George Q. Cannon, you may know, um, really famous in the history of the church. And he was... <laughs> <laughs> really famous. Right? He kind of is famous. Okay, where did I find that? Uh, oh, no, where is that story? It's so cute and good that it's... Maybe you put it in 105. Okay. Oh, yeah, good question. I mean, good thought. Yeah, I think it might be. Um, and they're going to travel, just so you know, if you're filling out this bottom part of your sheet, they're oh, going to travel 900 miles. So those are the 205 men, 10 women, 7 children, 900 miles. And if you want some more details of this, like Saints is a really good book to look at some of the mm -hmm. stories that happen, um, some great miracles along the way, some great lessons that are learned, you know, as they go, they're really good. Or there's an old seminary video that kind of shows some of those too that you could watch to just kind of get an idea of this. But here's that story from seven-year-old little Georgie. Mm -hmm. um, and he said this, he was like just talking about, oh, so it was really tiresome for all of us. And, and we knew about persecutions that were, you know, our friends had endured. And so that was really hard. And it made, and he says, it just caused me one day to, to lapse into a state of melancholy. <laughs> and the camp was getting ready to leave. And he said, I just sat tired brooding by the roadside. And he says, the prophet Joseph was the busiest man of the camp. And yet when he saw me, he turned from the great press of other duties to say a word this seven-year-old boy sitting on the side of the road brooding. Like, yeah. how many people have that seven-year-old, you know? Yeah. That most people would be like, <laughs> I do. oh, well, I get him on he'll the bus come when we morning. leave. <laughs> <laughs> and you just love that the prophet looks over and he's like, I'll go have a conversation with him. And it's really darling, right? And the busiest man of the camp. And he's kind of like a general right now. He's mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, we're about, we're getting close. We got to like, yeah. you know, but then he's, he goes and it says... Um, uh, placing his hand upon my head, tussling my hair. I made that part up, but oh, I just figured like... that he just probably did something like that, right? And he said, is there no place for you, my boy? If not, we must make one. And how awesome that is. And it's going to become more awesome in, in just a second where he just said like, oh, do you, you don't feel like you have a, a part to play in this? Um, let's make one for you because you do. 
or help you realize, you know, that there is one. And you just love, that's one of the things Joseph was the best at, I feel like was the welcoming in mm-hmm. and it and it wasn't just the welcoming in but it was reminding people they were needed they were needed in the kingdom work and i feel like we could be better at that i feel like there's so many of ours our people today who are saying is there not a place for you and how could we be more like joseph and say if if there's not a place for you we will make one for you. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that call. I love that thought of in our wards and in our families and in our communities, being the type of person that looks over and sees the one sitting on the side of the road brooding and says, okay, let me stop for my great busyness for just a minute and figure out how to make a place for you. Well, and I, I just, that part of it is the part that's really touching to me is that, you know, he could easily have said, I have all these Uh, responsibilities and I have all these duties to attend to but I I love that he walks away from the busyness of all of that and and Joseph realizing oh actually this is the work to do Hmm. I'm not I'm not walking away from the important work Joseph was actually walking toward the important work and how tender it is with a hand on his head and how he approaches Hmm. it you know is just um, and someone overlooked because what help could a seven-year-old be? Yes. And there might be some people who are and, just like, what help can I be? And yeah, just, and, and he might have felt like he was the least, you know, or yeah. um, of all those things. But, oh, I just, in the middle of the story, you love that that is the focus of the prophet in that moment. Uh, in the midst of all the preparation was that one sitting at the side of the road. And I think it's so important for us to remember that. Yeah. Um, in this part. So in between 103 and 105, something happens. 103 is like the gathering of everybody all together. Then they actually go out on the march and they're crossing all the way to Missouri. Um, then they get there in Missouri and they get to this place called Fishing River. It's kind of in between two little forks of the river and um, they're camped there. And while they're camped there, they are about to go into the area where they're going to fight. And while they're camped there, one night, all of a sudden, this huge storm just comes in. And it raises the river uh, 30 feet. And there is hail that is so strong and big, it breaks people's guns that they're holding. And it just is like the the Missourians were there, you know, to fight them. And that storm came and it it protected them by flooding the sides of the river. And it came in and they found refuge in this old abandoned Baptist church. Mm. So they all went inside there and Joseph's comment was, God is in this storm. Um, And then when the morning came and they were gone, the army that came to fight them was gone, um, Joseph received section 105 um, there, maybe in that little Baptist church or somewhere nearby and, uh, and, and gives new instruction. To everybody. And it's so interesting because this is going to be, instead of a call to arms, it is going to be a wait. Um, like just hold everything for a minute and let me teach you a little bit further. Okay. If you wonder why all of a sudden my scriptures have disappeared from my hand, <laughs> we ran out of battery, but now these two videos are merged together. So if the angle's off or something, that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> is what happened. Okay. So what happens is he's going to tell them instead of a call to arms, there is going to be this 
wait moment. And it starts in section 105, verse 1. And he says this, Verily I say unto you who have assembled yourselves together, that you may learn my will concerning the redemption of mine afflicted people. And for some reason, they had to walk 900 miles to get this message. We don't know why. We don't know all the learning that had to take place, but we do know there was a lot of learning that took place at Zion's camp. And he says, this is the reason why I told you, you have to wait. In verse three, first of all, you have not learned to be obedient. Um, the second thing is in verse four, he says, you are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. And in verse five, the third thing, Zion cannot be built up unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. So it's so interesting because um, they, were, they had not been obedient, they were not united, and they weren't living by the principles of the law. And those things are what are going to keep them at that moment from this redemption. Which is where all of a sudden I think the story kind of starts to turn a little bit. And it is because any group of scrubs could go and fight the Missourians, right? Mm -hmm. So it might be interesting for the Lord to say this. He's like, you can't fight because you're arguing, you know, you're not ready for this is what I should say, because you're arguing with each other and you're not living the laws of sacrifice and consecration. And they would say like, but I know how to shoot, <laughs> you know, and I know how to punch people yeah. and I know how to do all those things. So this is probably the first time they're thinking like, wait, wait a, a second, what, how do, does that, those things you just listed disqualify somebody from being a warrior? Yes. Right. And now it's like, wait a minute. Yes. All of a sudden, the Lord's expectation they're realizing might not be what they were thinking they were doing. And it becomes really clear in verses 10 and 11. Right before that, he says, you're going to have to wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. And then he says, let me tell you what redemption looks like. And remember, at the very beginning, he said, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. And in their mind, they thought they knew what that meant. And he says this in verse 10, that they themselves may be prepared, that my people may be taught more perfectly and have experience and know more perfectly concerning their duty and the things which I require at their hands. And this cannot be brought to pass until mine elders are endowed with power from on high. Remember, redemption must come by power, but he wants it to be an endowment of power from on high. And all of a sudden, do you remember when those first saints, all of a sudden their redemption came by the cross? And this group is going to realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe our redemption is going to come through the temple, through an endowment of power that is going to come through the temple. And I love that thought of saving, right? The saving that comes from and through the atonement of Jesus Christ, that we think about the garden and the cross and the tomb. And there was a redemption, right? There was a redeemer and a saving. But that same power from Christ is going to come through the temple and it's an exalting. And we see this saving and exalting redemption and this power that is going to come through Christ in a way that they maybe hadn't considered. And then I want to go back to that parable, right? Yeah. And that one line 
What need hath my Lord of this tower? And you may remember from last time's lesson that the, the reason the Lord said that land got overrun is because you didn't carry out my commandment to build the temple. I told you to carry out that commandment and in parable form, he's really like reiterating what their conversations were, which mm. were like, but why? Why do we even need the temple? Like it yeah, feels like there's so like much there's, else going on right now that feels more important. Right. Why? And that is the question that we've been just talking about. And we think it's such an important question to like answer that question. Okay. So why do you even need it? You know, yeah. why, why is it, in, why is it important? And um, what need do we have of a temple? It was so interesting because I happened to have this experience this weekend that just touched my heart so much. I was sitting in a room with a group of people and there was a woman there from the Netherlands and you just listened to her talk in her beautiful accent. And there was a moment when she was like, tell me the difference between the Christian church and what Latter-day Saints believe. And everyone started chiming in different things and, and people were teaching her and she was very interested in the conversation. And at one point I said to her, have you ever seen one of our temples? And immediately people started pulling up temples, the one that would have been closest to her. And then other people picked their favorites and she was looking at them and she said, well, what happens in a temple? And I said, well, one of my favorite things that happens in a temple is, you know how most people are married for time um, till death do us part. And she said, yes. And I said, okay, in our temples, you are married for eternity, forever. And it was so darling because she, she just immediately burst into tears. And then she said, this is what I have been looking for and never been able to find. And I loved her just immediate reaction of like to tears that the thought of something like that was so precious to her and, and so amazing that it could be found on this earth that she, she couldn't believe that was true. And then I love that thought again of what need hath my Lord of this tower? And it makes me just want to stop and consider, okay, how important is the temple really in my life and why? Why would I choose to be a Latter-day Saint because of the temple? How important are the covenants? How important are the things that happen within those walls? Well, and what's interesting in the parable is he says, because that was not built, the enemy was able to come in and take away those things that were most important, take away light and take away your food and take away your healing. Like he was able to come in and, and kind of destroy all yeah. of those things that. You well, know, and you I love were... as you think about that vineyard and then you think about Jacob five and, and really what was destroyed was the people, the livelihood of the people, their light and their goodness and everything about them just destroyed so quickly because there wasn't a temple in their midst. Right. And if you want to connect that, I, I mean, this idea of a temple is so new to these people, right? And they haven't experienced yet any of the blessings of it. And which is maybe why they're asking the question, why do we even need it? And, mm -hmm. um, and those, you know, who that would be natural. If someone had never been before, they would never be able to answer and, you know, and say, oh, but those of us who have been and who have experienced redemption and have experienced uh, or a measure of redemption, right? Mm. And have experienced a measure of that power there, 
would probably need to speak up and and say, oh, mm. this this is why. Let me tell you. I mean, I was just talking to a, a girl the other day who just was asking a similar question. Mm. Why do I even need it? What's come from it? And and one of the ways our conversation went was to the initiatory ordinance. Mm. And I was like, oh, I was like, what about those promises? Think of the ones that are listed there. Do you not want to like face all of your problems with those promises? Do you not want to engage in all of your relationships with those particular promises? Do you not want to face your stress and your struggles and your anxieties Mm -hmm. about things with those promises in mind? And the conversation ended with her saying like, I think I've I've only done that once in my life. I need to go back Hmm. and listen to them. And it's like, oh. I love the initiatory promises. Right. And it's like, oh, of course you do. You need to go back and see like that power that's being promised within those walls. um, It's... you would need that extra endowment of power in order to create Zion, mm. in order to create that place of peace and unity. And and, and that's why and you, you love, need it. And you love going back from there to this list. What did he ask for? What did he tell them the redemption was going to look like? And now think of it through temple eyes, right? It will happen in time. And with my presence. With there. my presence and angels. Um, it would be this process of consecration and sacrifice, and it would make disciples, people who were willing to be made disciples, and it would gather people, and it would take Joseph um, presiding over what was going to happen there and listening to the commandments so that they could receive the law. And it would require diligence, faithfulness, and prayer. And isn't it so interesting how we don't know, we don't know um, the expectation at the beginning or the expectation at the end and how that was all aligned. But I love that you can see that there is a process that we go through where we align our expectation with his and that his thoughts are higher than ours and his purpose is greater than ours. And and sometimes we have to walk 900 miles in order to realign our perspective with his. And I love that as they're gonna go through that walk, we learn, first of all, that it becomes a trial of their faith in verses 18 and 19. It, it says this, The strength of my house has not hearkened unto my words, but in 18, inasmuch as there are those who have hearkened unto my words, I have prepared a blessing and an endowment for them if they continue faithful. I have heard their prayers and will accept their offering, and it is expedient in me that they should be brought thus far for a trial of their faith. So for some reason, it was expedient for them to walk the 900 miles. And I think um, of the 900 mile journeys in my life, I'm sure you can think of them too. And and the great storms that have asked, there's that one thought in there where it just says, there's some of you who are asking in verse eight, where is their God? And We've all had those 900 mile journeys and we've all asked that question, where is my God in this, in in this great storm and this thing that's going on in my life? But I love that he teaches them this. He says, okay, because I'm sure everyone was like, what? Wait, we're going home? This was Oh, there absolutely was. Like, and there was a fight back. And yes, and and when they got back, there were a lot of people who were like, "You, you just wasted your time." And we put this little line in there. Someone even asked Brigham. They were just like, "What did you get 
from that journey, that wasted journey. And his response was just what we went for. Mm. Like we got what we, the very thing that we went. And I love that they, they turn around to go home with still a call to arms from the Lord. And he says to them first, let in verse 31, let my army become very great and let it become sanctified. I love that you're going to see temple language all through here. Let it become sanctified in verse 33. It is expedient in me that the first elders of my church should receive their endowment from on high in my house. Okay, that's the next thing that has to happen. Third, he tells them this is going to be a, this was a day of calling, but next is going to come a day of choosing. And you will have to choose to be worthy, right? That you're going to have to choose to enter in to this um, endowment of power. And, and it's going to require like, that sanctification, that rising up, that yeah. being part of that great work. And then he talks in verse 38 about suing for peace. And that's going to be part of what this army is going to look like, which would have been really hard to hear because they had been dealt with unfairly and they would continue to be dealt with unfairly all the way until they get to Utah. And so this, this call is going to be for a long time. And then I love in verse 40 when he says, and all things shall work together for your good. And I think that is true of the Lord always, right? You think about right. Joseph of Egypt and he keeps comparing um, them this to Moses when he went through all his stuff and all things work together for his good. And you think about Joseph from Egypt when he went from the pit to the palace to the prison and how all things work together for their good. And, and sometimes redemption requires the 900 mile walk. It requires the 40 years in the wilderness. It just requires this process of becoming. And, and even it re- maybe required the question they were asking, why did you let our people get kicked out of that land in the first place? And, and maybe the answer was, could you have ever learned what this was actually about? Of course mm. I allowed it because, you know, it was through that. It was through your transgression that you actually learned this really valuable lesson, you know, that, that you needed to learn. And that um, I have a different army in mind mm-hmm. and I have a different battle in mind. And it's the battle against, um, against evil and sin because my intention is Zion. And you thought Zion you could be found on a map, but really Zion is found in, in hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and what I need to do is help to, we need these temples so that you can both have the power and the patterns of living that are going to bring about a Zion people that are gonna unite the whole human family, you know? It's a, I have a different mission, you know, in in mind for you. Um, A fight for people, like, I mean, you think of Joseph on the roadside with that boy. He's like, I need people like that who will find the, you know, the outsiders and the melancholy ones who can bring them in. And you're going to need wisdom and power and patterns from on high in order to help bring that about. I love when he says in verse 27, um, mine, he talks about mine elders whom I have appointed shall have time to gather up the strength of my house. And you just love the thought of that gathering up and and creating the strength of his house. And it's as we do that, that Zion will be redeemed. It's so interesting because, and you will have heard this a million places, but I just 
I think it's a great place to end. Nine of the original 12 apostles walked those 900 miles and they learned that lesson. And I bet one of the things they walked away from that with was a testimony of that one line in that parable, how important is the temple? Why does the Lord have need of this tower? And was something that probably at the end of that 900 miles, they were like, there is something about the endowment that we haven't captured yet, but we will. And they were men who would work towards that for their entire um, time of service that they were in there. That would be the call of the church from Kirtland to Nauvoo and then to Salt Lake and in St. George and everywhere that those temples became a symbol of Zion for us, of this kingdom, of who we are and what makes us different. And and, and they really do lead the charge. I mean, sometimes I think about our, our the people, the men we currently sustain as apostles today. And it would be, if you read their biographies, sometimes mm. they share thoughts of, oh, here are the 900 miles that I walked to learn those important lessons. And, and I think they would say to us, like, Oh, we're learning them right alongside of all of you. The, the word apostle means one sent forth. And, and it would make you want to ask the question, sent forth to do what? Mm. You know, and it's like, oh, sent forth to gather, to make room for everybody, to, to bring people to, um, to, the, to the Savior um, so they can enjoy all measures, you know, of redemption. And we all have that same commission to yeah. be sent forth, you know, Arm us with power so that we can do that really important work, Lord, that you have called us you know, to do. Yeah. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.